parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hey friends, welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I'm so glad you're here. I am so excited to introduce today's guest and share our conversation with you. Today, I'm talking with Rachel Shepard-Ota. Rachel's a mom of three and certified sleep specialist who built an online community for tired mamas on Instagram called Hey Sleepy Baby. She also offers guides and workshops to help you get your baby sleeping without using old school sleep training methods. You can also book one-on-one support with her team. Rachel lives in San Francisco with her family. And Rachel is a total rock star and did this entire interview holding her newborn and she didn't miss a beat. I loved my conversation with Rachel so much. It was so real. I feel like I could have just talked to her for hours. But my favorite part about this conversation and why I am so excited to share it with you is that we cover the middle ground when it comes to baby and toddler sleep. The topic of sleep and especially baby sleep can be so polarizing. Parents can feel pigeonholed into one of two options, either your sleep training or your co-sleeping forever. And often neither option feels good. So what do you do? That's exactly what Rachel and I cover today. Before we get into this conversation, I just want to acknowledge how hard baby and toddler sleep can feel. And I want to say explicitly that if you chose sleep training and you're worried about the effect of that on your attachment relationship with your child, here's what you need to know. We have decades and decades of research on attachment, and it is not this fragile thing that I think we sometimes think that it is. The attachment relationship is actually super robust and a secure attachment relationship is not something that can be built or destroyed in a day or a week with one single decision. So you can let that worry go. And as you'll hear today in our conversation, Rachel and I actually both did cry it out with our oldest kids. We both did cry it out because we felt like we didn't have other options. And with our subsequent babies, we found a way forward with sleep that didn't require formal sleep training and felt better and more aligned to both of us. But all of that being said, our oldest kids are happy, healthy, and securely attached. So I just wanted to say that explicitly because I know there is a lot of negativity in the gentle parenting space surrounding sleep training. You're not a bad parent if that's what you chose and you did not irreparably damage the attachment relationship, full stop. But if sleep training is not feeling right to you, I want you to hear that you do have other options. My hope is that this conversation will feel empowering so that if you are in a situation with sleep right now that is not working for you, you do not have to stay stuck there. Your need for sleep is valid and your mental health is important. And now without further ado, here's my conversation with Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us while you are holding your newborn. I'm just so glad (laughs) that you're here. Thank you for having me. And yeah, I'm holding my baby. So if you hear any hiccups or something like that, she apologizes. But yeah, I'm really excited to be here and be talking with you about this really important topic. Yes. Oh my gosh. 
baby sleep, toddler sleep, it's such an important topic. And I think in the respectful, gentle, conscious parenting community, it can feel really scary to change up sleep because we are so worried about preserving that bond that we work so hard during the day to build with our kids. Right. I get a lot of questions from listeners wondering, okay, what do I do? Like I'm stuck in this sleep situation that doesn't feel good. And how do I get out of that? Right. You know, and I know for myself, I bed shared for 18 months with my first child, not because I was so excited to do that. It was great in the beginning, but like by the time he was 18 months, he was up every two hours to nurse and I was so sleep deprived. I was like Mm -hmm. literally falling asleep at the wheel. And so we ended up doing you know, we put him in his crib one night and essentially it was 10 minutes of cried out before he fell asleep. But I felt like I had no other options. Yeah. And I know you really help parents with options that feel good to them and to their yeah. kids, which is what we are all about here on this podcast. So yes, I love it. What would you say to parents who are in a sleep situation right now and it feels unsustainable and they just don't know what to do? Maybe they're scared to make a change. Yeah. So I think the first thing that's really important to understand is just what normal sleep looks like and what normal sleep for babies and toddlers looks like. Because I think for me, at least when I first became a mom, I had no idea (laughs) that babies woke up so much. Me neither. And so for me, even one or two night wakes a night felt like I was failing, right? With my little six month old baby, because I didn't know that that was normal. I thought he should be sleeping through the night. So perspective really is everything. And so I think just kind of getting a sense of that. So, you know, whether that's my Instagram page, another Instagram page, talking to friends, like whatever you want to do to find out what's normal is great. The second step I would say is, okay, so now, you know, you know, maybe it's normal, maybe it's not. If it's not really check out like some red flags information as well. I have a lot of that kind of stuff on my Instagram and on my website, just because again, it's not something that's really talked about that much. It's like you said, like we have these extremes in the baby sleep world where it's like, oh, you have to either co-sleep forever or you have to sleep train. Yes. If your baby has something going on with them, that's making them wake more than is normal or they're really distressed or really uncomfortable, or it's just feeling really unsustainable. Sometimes there actually is a reason for that. They're not just trying to make your life miserable. And, you know, I've had hundreds of people and clients tell me that it's something like an enlarged adenoid or tonsils or another type of breathing issue like apnea, or their baby had a food intolerance or, you know, something like that, that was actually really making it hard for them to sleep no matter what the parent tried. So I always recommend being curious and being a little bit of a detective and partnering with, you know, whoever your trusted healthcare provider is to really get to the bottom of it. If it's something that's super unsustainable or seems just off to you, like you always know when your baby is just not feeling quite right and you just can't pinpoint it. All right. So then you've figured out what's normal. You've ruled out any red flags. It's still feeling really unsustainable to you. Like you're still really exhausted. You can't function. You know, it really kind of depends on your family and your baby's temperament as far as how you might want to start going about getting more independent sleep or better sleep. We were talking before you started recording and you said, you know, you sometimes would just try out the crib. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, if you would walk away for a few minutes, baby would fall asleep or they'd get really upset and you'd say, okay, I'm going to pick you back up and we're going to try again another time. Yes. I love that so much because I think parents get really caught up on like everything having to be an ABC 
or like a step-by-step plan or program or set of rules or instructions. And a lot of times with lots of things in parenting, it's kind of just trial by error. We're going to practice. We're going to go really slowly. You know, you can kind of think about it like when you're teaching your kid any other skill, like riding a bike or something, you're not expecting them to get it right away. You're expecting, you know, you'll go out and practice on the sidewalk and they might fall a couple times. You'll help them back up and you'll say, all right, like you want to keep trying or should we try again another day? And sometimes it's going to take weeks or even months for you to see that big payoff where they're really doing it all on their own, but you support them every step of the way. And you just look at it like you're just practicing, right? You don't have to have all this pressure on, okay, I need to achieve this in two weeks or in 10 days or whatever it is. And I think that's why a lot of sleep programs are so (laughs) popular and why so many parents buy these things at like 3am because it sounds like it's too good to be true, right? Oh, I'll get better sleep in five days. Like I'll buy this. Oh yeah, sure. For some babies that are super easygoing, that kind of stuff does work and parents do deserve to have that option. But for a lot of people that doesn't work or the methods inside don't really feel right to you or whatever it is. So yes, it really has to be kind of a gradual process that kind of honors who your kid is and what their temperament is like and what you are able to support, you know? Absolutely. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when you said like, it's so polarized in the baby sleep world. It's either you cry it out and sleep train. Yeah. Which sleep training can be this very gradual, like you, I hate the word training in anything, even potty training, but like, yeah, I know. Sleep learning can look like these little moments of practice, but we think sleep training equals you put your baby in the room and you shut the door and you don't go back. Of course, that feels terrible to parents. And this is why I bed shared for 18 months because I thought my only option was to do that. Right. And thank goodness when we did, he was so ready for it that it went really well. Right. But I know that's not the case for everybody. And so I think part of it is giving parents permission to practice because with my second and third babies, we never had to do any kind of what I would consider formal sleep training. I also think, and this is something I see so much with the parents I work with, we are so terrified of letting our babies cry. We are so worried about that expression of emotion. And so with my first child, and to your point about the red flags, all three of my kids have had tongue ties. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's very challenging in the beginning with breastfeeding. And so it was really adaptive that he didn't want to be put down in those early weeks, but I never tried again. You know, you can put your baby down in a crib or a bassinet and run and grab a drink. Or like I would take a five minute shower and then come back and yeah, use the bathroom. (laughs) Yes. And to my surprise, half the time my kids were asleep when I came back. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. But if we're so terrified of any kind of crying, then we're never even going to give them that space to learn that important skill. Yeah. What I tell people a lot, because I also get moms that are very triggered by crying, lots of moms that have, you know, postpartum anxiety and they just like, they really cannot handle the crying. It's like way too much of a trigger for them. And, you know, of course therapy can help work through those types of things. But I always like to say like, it's not crying. That's a problem. It's crying alone. And like what you said, we're human. We have needs. If we have to put the baby down and go to the bathroom or like go take a breather because we are losing it and they're crying, you know, that's not going to be anything that damages them long-term. No. If a parent gets to the point where they have to use some sort of cry it out sleep training, then that's what they have to do. But I like to tell parents that like, there are so many options in between and your baby crying is not like the end of the world. It's an expression of emotion. It's their only way of communicating with us. And crying is going to happen. Even if you have the most chill, easygoing baby, they're going to cry sometimes. Yes. You mentioned weaning. We had a similar situation with my middle daughter. We co-slept with her. I called her my barnacle baby because she just 
would never let me put her down. Like she was such a mama's girl. And I got to the point where she was around 20 months and I was just so done. And we wanted to try for a third. So we were like, we really like need to get her out of our bed. I need to stop breastfeeding. Like I can't do this anymore. And she cried a lot. She had an absolute fit the first few nights, but my husband was there holding her and reassuring her and comforting her. And she was not alone in that distress. And so, you know, there are ways to do it where you're supporting your child and not making them feel like, I have no idea what's happening. Is anybody going to come back for me? And those types of things that really don't feel great to us. Yes. Because I did cry it out with my first baby. It was like a Ferber type of class. It's like a very popular one. And it didn't work for us at all. He would cry for upwards of an hour. And it just was, it was terrible. But nobody told me that that could happen, right? You buy this class and they're like, oh, it's a 99% success rate. Right. You're like on your second week of your kids screaming their head off for hours throughout the night and you're just like, oh my God, like I'm really the 1%. How is that possible? Right. You feel like you're doing something wrong. Yeah. You feel like there's something wrong with your baby. There's something wrong with you. You ask for help and they tell you like, it's your fault that it's not working because you're not being consistent enough. It's just like, it's enough to make a new mom go insane. So yeah, the polarization of, of the sleep training stuff, I think is so hot because moms just want the best for their babies, like no matter what. And we also really need sleep and we really need support. Yes. Two things are true. Yeah. Two things are true. And I tell moms all the time, like, you're not doing this wrong. It's just that you're not supposed to be doing this alone. Like parents are not set up to be caring for a baby and a household full-time by themselves. It's just not the way that humans are supposed to be living. Right. It's not your fault. You're supposed to have a lot of help and you just don't. And it's really, really hard. And I think we have to be able to get creative to ask for help. You know, I know so many moms who, because they're breastfeeding, they just solo parent all night. Yeah. That's what I did with my first kid. I mean, my husband was in the bed, but like he was not the one. Not the same. Not the same. Right. He he could magically sleep through the every two hour wakings, you know? (laughs) Yeah, they can do that. Yes. They're not like wired the same way. And so for me, it was just, I felt so alone in that. And then when we did move him to his crib, my husband was like, oh, well, you know, I can go in when he wakes up. I was like, oh, well, that's brilliant. Exactly. You know, this idea that we have to just shut the door and not go in again, even if you are trying to teach your child to fall asleep independently, which all three of my kids at some point were ready for that. You know, I just missed the cues with my oldest. It doesn't mean that you don't respond to them all night. Like I still, I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old. I still nurse my two-year-old once a night, half the time. She'll sleep through half the time. The other times she wakes up, I go in, I nurse her and I lay her back down and she now goes to sleep without crying because she's so used to this routine. My eight-year-old, he calls for me, he has a bad dream. I go in. Right. So we don't have to have this all or nothing approach. I love that you said that so much because I think a lot of new parents look at sleep through the night as like this finish line, right? Like, oh, as soon as my baby starts sleeping through the night, like my life will be so easy again. Or like, they'll never need me at night again. And no, like my first ended up being a great sleeper. He slept through the night by himself one random night when he was like almost one. That's awesome. And yeah, he just didn't wake up for his feedings and then literally did not wake up again in the middle of the night for like two years. Like was a star sleeper. Slept like 12 hours every single night, took great naps. Like I can't take credit for any of it because I have still no idea how it (laughs) happened. It just, he was just ready. Like you said, my daughter, it didn't happen until we night weaned her and she was two and a half. Every kid's different. So with my son, he was amazing. We were like, oh my gosh, we've hit the jackpot with this kid. Like the first year was super rough, but he is really making up for it. And then he hit preschool age and started to get very age appropriate 
fears and started to wake up at night sometimes, you know, just once in a while, just like a little phase for a few weeks that we dealt with and started to actually want us to lay with him at bedtime again, where he was going to sleep pretty independently. He got through the other side of that. Now he's five and that doesn't happen anymore, but we're kind of prepared. Like you said, if they, if he has a bad dream, we'll of course go in there. If he has an accident, we'll of course go in there. Like parenting is not this thing where there's like a finish line of, okay, now you're done. Yes. And I think in the sleep world, parents are sold solutions and sleep training looks like a really appealing one because you're promised that your baby will sleep through the night, which does happen sometimes. But then what we also know from research is that by age two, there's no difference in sleep for kids that are sleep trained or not in infancy. So it kind of all comes out in the wash anyway. And kids are going to have needs at night for years to come potentially. So I love that that you brought that up just to normalize that for parents, right? Yes. Because I think a lot of times we get these messages that it's not okay to support them to sleep or that they shouldn't need us or that they're never going to be independent if they have that from us at night. And, you know, we have to remember that sleep is the biggest separation in terms of attachment. Like, you know, we separate and Mm -hmm. we reunite all day long, but sleep is the biggest Mm -hmm. one that we expect from them. And our kids are wired to be close to us for literal survival. So they might need to check in with you at night. And if they're going through something stressful, if they're starting a new school or getting a new sibling, that's a huge one. They're going to need you. They're going to need to check in with you more. And with my older two, we often have them just have sleepovers with each other because they feel safe doing that. And at first I thought, oh my gosh, like, is this messing with their sleep? And then I remembered being a kid and I was like, no, this is making them feel safer and they can still sometimes call for us, you know, when they need us. Yeah. I love that. I have such fond memories of sharing rooms with my sisters growing up too. And I thought that I wanted my own room when I turned 13. It was like this thing that I was so excited for. And then I really missed them. And I was scared a lot at night, even as a teenager. So yeah, that makes total sense. And how many of us sleep with our partner and can't sleep when they're traveling? And it's just awful. Why would it be any different for these tiny little babies? Yes. Don't want to sleep alone in their own room. Like I can't blame them, right? A hundred percent. And I feel like, you know, when we recognize that we have more options than we think. And I do think some of it is that in our country, sleep is presented, or at least safe sleep is presented in this very sort of black and white way. And I'm really excited. I actually have a pediatrician coming on the show soon to talk about modified safe sleep from a pediatrician standpoint. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm on TikTok as well as Instagram. And that is just like a complete dumpster fire for sleep information and misinformation. And there's a lot of fear mongering that goes on about bed sharing, especially from certain pediatricians. So I'm I'm excited that you're going to do that because I think a lot of moms are scared to co-sleep or bed share. Yes. And people don't tell you that sometimes babies actually won't sleep if you put them down. Like they just will not. My kids, all of them in (laughs) the beginning. And by the third kid, I learned and just put a mattress in her room in the nursery from the beginning. (laughs) And I, you know, in the very, very beginning, I still used our room because, you know, postpartum, you need access to like your things. But eventually when she was like a month old, she and I together moved into her room. And that was such a lovely setup because I could gradually practice putting her in the crib. She was already used to being in there. Right. And then you're leaving Mm -hmm. rather and trying to get her out of your room. That's a great strategy. I recommend that all the time. It was really, really great. And I never even thought of that as an option with my first two. And with my first child, I didn't start bed sharing because I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I think I started bed sharing <laughs> the same way. Because you have no choice. Yes. Yeah. Because I was literally holding him in a glider at 3 a.m. and dozing off. Which is so much more unsafe. Yes. And I remember thinking, well, yeah. this can't be safe. And so I Googled yep. safe bed sharing because I knew that 
but yeah. I had heard that that was a thing. And they found the safe sleep seven and I would feel so ashamed every time I would take him to an appointment and they would say, is he sleeping in his crib? And I'm like, uh, oh my God, sure. I know. <laughs> sure. Yep. But you know, I feel like there has to be a realistic approach to this because you cannot just leave a newborn to cry alone in their crib. No. Like that's not reality. You can't. And it's not safe. You can't. That's not, it's not reality. It's not safe for them. It's not good for you. And like you said, like there are so many worse options than setting up your bed for safer bed sharing. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten a parent that messaged me saying, thank you so much for posting about the Safe Sleep 7 or thank you so much for like, you know, quote unquote permission to bed share because I fell asleep in my rocking chair and dropped my baby. Oh. Or I woke up and my baby was was wedged between my arm and the cushion. Yep. And it's just horrifying that parents are so afraid to fall asleep with their baby in their bed that they're trying to stay up in this rocking chair or in this other unsafe position. And, you know, something really dangerous could happen. And it's so much more likely to happen there than in a properly set up bed. It really is. And I am so glad that I had that moment of mom instinct because I just remember being like, yes, this is really unsafe. Like yeah. this can't keep, we can't keep going on like this. Yeah. And you're so right that most people don't say, oh, I can't wait to bed share with my baby. <laughs> right. It's the opposite. Most people are like, oh, I'll never be that mom. My baby is going to be in the bassinet from day one. Mm-hmm. And then you get your baby. <laughs> they like to humble you. Oh, they really do. These little newborns. They really bring you back down to earth. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Everything you thought you were never going to do. Suddenly exactly, you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And there's actually some, some research. I forget exactly where I saw it, but it was something like 65% of parents will bed share at one point, whether they intended to or not. And yep. it's probably even higher. Yeah. Because people aren't admitting it. Exactly. And so these people that demonize it and say that it's this terrible thing, like what would you rather have? Parents who are doing it in shame, potentially unsafely, or parents who are educated on their options and know how to how to mitigate some of the risk. I would rather have the risk mitigation personally. Absolutely. And, you know, I love that the safe sleep seven takes into account, like, okay, assuming you are not using some sort of sedative, assuming that that you are in control of your body, you know, those kinds of things right. that I think are really right. important because we have to care about that. But also it's not realistic for, especially in particularly breastfeeding because of the hormones that cause you to get sleepy and you're supposed to somehow sit up and stay awake. Exactly. And exactly. then you're putting yourself and your baby in an unsafe safe situation. Yep. And I believe that even the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out recently to say we don't support bed sharing, but if you if you think you might fall asleep with your baby, you should do it in a bed versus in a chair. They did. They did say that in their 2016 recommendations, and then I think they might have taken that part out oh. in the one that just came out in 2022. I'll have to double check on that. But yeah, I was so happy when they put that in, and then I think in their most recent one, they actually took it out and reworded it a little bit. But they did say that it's better to do that than in a chair or a sofa, so that's at least something. At at least it's something. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we have to remember that our babies are brand new at everything. They are brand new at eating, sleeping, being human. And so we have to remember that, you know, it is a skill that they are going to have to learn and we have to sort of scaffold that skill just like we would anything else, right? With, like you said, learning to ride a bike. Oh my gosh, we're right there with my five-year-old. And he one day yeah. was like, I'm ready. I'm going to take the training wheels off. And he yeah. did great. But then he was like, okay, I'm ready to put them back on. And then he wants to take them off. And so he'll get there when he's ready. 
but he's right. trying it. And it's like a developmental milestone. Like we we know and trust that our babies are going to walk when they're ready to walk, right? We're not trying to teach them how to walk when they're three months old. Right. <laughs> so that's kind of how I like to think about it. Because a lot of people talk about it being a skill, like it's something you can teach. And it's not quite that. Like, yes, we can set up the environment to be conducive to sleep for them. We can, you know, have healthy sleep habits and routines and all of that stuff that kind of shows them the way. But at the end of the day, like a baby's not going to walk at three months. Right. <laughs> (laughs) no matter what you do. So, yeah. So there is a part of it where it's kind of just allowing natural development to kind of unfold. The part that's hard about sleep with this though, that makes it different from other, you know, like milestones or skills or whatever word you want to use is that there are those unicorn babies that do it as newborns. Yes. Right. So then everybody else is comparing their baby to that unicorn baby and saying, oh, well, if that baby starts sleeping through the night at eight weeks old, then my baby should be able to. And why can't my baby do that? And so sleep is a little bit different because there is such a wide spectrum of when babies start sleeping through the night or taking longer naps or being ready for the crib, you know. Some babies come out and they just sleep in the crib from day one and it's never an issue. (laughs) I don't meet a lot of those parents, but I know that they exist. Yeah, they're not the ones (laughs) reaching out to you for help, but yes. (laughs) But that's why so much of it comes down to temperament too. Yes. You know, just like the chiller babies and then the babies that need a little bit more help. And I think perspective, I talk so much on this podcast about how our mindset as parents is everything, right? If we think that meltdowns are bad behavior, we're going to be mad at ourselves and our kids all the time. But if we know they are normal and healthy and we want our kids to express their emotions, we are going to show up differently. And I think sleep is the same way. Like I know for me with my third child, by then I kind of knew that the first two months were just going to be me sitting on the couch a lot. And I was going to have to have my phone or something with me so that I could get something done. And then- That, you know, as she got a little older, wearing her for naps was going to be my saving grace. I did a lot of baking with my boys because (laughs) I was just like, okay, I leaned in, you know? Yeah. And I think as parents, if we know that going in, and like you said, if we know that babies do wake up, my two-year-olds, she still wakes up sometimes at night to nurse and okay. And don't we as adults sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and like, you know, it's, we all do it. And I find that the schedule too makes a big difference. Like I know some days I'll let her nap a little bit longer because I'm just trying to finish recording a podcast episode and then I pay for it that night. She wakes up twice and I'm like, okay, I knew that she should have had a shorter nap. Right. So if we can pay attention to those things too, that can make a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah. That is such a big one that we start to see toddler parents, like you said, she's almost two. We start to see that happen a lot with, you know, there's such a big relationship between that nap and the nights and how they're going. And my daughter recently stopped napping. She just turned three. She stopped napping a few months ago. She still will sometimes. Yeah. The nights are definitely different Mm -hmm. when she has that nap. And I thought I would hate the nap going away because it's like that break during the day. Yes. But now she goes to bed at night at 645. And I'm just like, which is almost amazing. Yes, exactly. Like this is truly amazing. Like I will let go of that nap all day if this is what I get. Yes, absolutely. I can't tell you how many parents come to me for sleep struggles with their preschoolers. And I say, are they taking a nap at preschool? And they're like, yes. Yeah. Mm, I think that's the problem. And it's hard because a lot of preschools are required to do that nap time. Ours is, yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I know for my son, that was a really big struggle because he stopped napping at two and a half and then he went to preschool at like three and a half. It was really hard to have to do the nap time thing. He was just like, oh, I hate this. And some days he would fall asleep and he would feel so bad. And I'm like, it's okay, you know, but he would go to bed at 10 o'clock on those nights and I would have to just know, okay, he's not being like, he's not trying to stay up. He's just not tired. And yeah, how do we get in the head? space as parents to be able to deal with that. Right, right, right. Yeah. 
Well, Rachel, thank you so, so much for this discussion. I think it's such a needed discussion. I feel like I could just sit and talk to you for so much longer, but I know know you've got your little one, which you are a rock star for doing this interview with your baby. Um, And she was so good, I feel like. She, Um, yeah, she's starting to lose it a little bit now, but she has been kind of used to being like this, you know, little... She goes BFF where you go. Yep. Attached to me all the time. <laughs> yep, I like love you said, it. like the first couple months, just I, everybody prepare to see my baby. Anytime you ask me to do anything, yep. she is just with me all the time. I love it, and I get it. And I know that you've got your Instagram account at yeah. Hey Sleepy Baby. But where else can people find you if they want to partake of your awesome sleep advice? Thank you. Yeah. So I mentioned Instagram is, I'd say, where I'm the most active and where I have the biggest community, and that's where like most of my <laughs> educational content is. But then I'm also I I recently started TikTok. Fun. TikTok Me is, too. It's very different. <laughs> yeah, it sure so is. I'm doing that more just kind of like for fun. And then all of my resources are just on my website, which is hastelybebaby.com. So I've got um, obviously baby resources. And then I just came out with a new guide for toddlers and little kids all about bedtime struggles and and overnight stuff that's happening. So yes. And if you are trying to get your baby in the crib, I know you have a guide specifically for that, yes, right? Yes. Yes. I, I developed that with in large part as with my daughter as inspiration. Yeah. So it's a crib guide geared towards like five or six months and up, but you can really use it whenever you're ready. You can always start kind of laying those foundations and starting those habits and routines as early as you'd like. But yeah, that's there. And there's also information about there about floor beds. Oh, nice. Which I'm a huge, huge fan of. So if you've never heard of using a floor bed for a baby or a toddler, check out my Instagram. I have a whole highlight about it. Oh, I love that. We did floor beds with all of our kids until very recently. My eight-year-old has a loft bed, but like that's super recent. So love it. Oh, that's so fun. He must love that. He does. But that's awesome. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you're stuck in you know, a place with sleep that you don't want to be, you don't have to stay stuck there. Check out Rachel's content. She's got a lot of really helpful stuff. Thank you. And just thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Oh my gosh. It was so lovely to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.